Welcome to the American Dream in the Eyes of Immigrants podcast. I am your host, Heidi de la Cruz, and I am on the mission to change the narrative of immigration, one immigrant story at a time. So looking forward to, you know, well, finally recording, because I heard a little bit of your story, which was, you know, really fascinating. And just thank you. Thank you so much for for this opportunity to hear your story, to share your story. And I know that it's going to help so many people and be so impactful. And I'm just so glad that you are just open about it. So thank you. I, I am like I mentioned to you on our last um, conversation. I forget um, that I sit in a, a, a very privileged place. And when I say that is because very few people um, to this day are still afraid and very few people share their story very openly. And mm-hmm. I forget that all the time. And when you reminded me of that on our last conversation, I, it, I really sat with it because I didn't understand how powerful it is to be the voice for so many. And mm-hmm. it's very empowering. And it, it made me think about why I decided to even be so open about my my story so thank you for allowing me to share my story for more people to learn about not only me but the mm-hmm. the story of so many almost a million and a half mm-hmm. undocumented um or documented people mm-hmm. that live in the united states and so many more that are i know it, it was 11 million when, when i last checked and i don't know how many more so thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it could be anyone, you know, it's not just people who look like you or look like me. There's, you know, from different communities, from different countries um, who are documented or, or undocumented and, and things like that. So it is a, a story of a lot of people and it could be the next door neighbor that, you know, we don't know. So thank you so much. I would love for you to get started by introducing yourself, um, yes, who you absolutely. are, and and then you we can get right into, you know, your experience growing up undocumented. Awesome. Well, my name is Maydeli Mendoza. I am almost 37 years old. I've been in this country for 30, 36 and a half years. I came to this country when I was six months, and this is all I've known. I am a um, social worker, early childhood educator by day, and by night, um, I am a conscious entrepreneur and a transformational life coach, and I just love everything, how how my story or how my journey shaped me into the woman that I am today, but also took me to these paths that I am currently on. I am a, how can I say this? I am a self-love advocate because I believe that when you guide somebody back to self-love, they're, they're able to tap into their own goodness and greatness and their own power. And in that way, they're able to now fight back the systems of oppression that have put them there in the first place. And the reason why I became that is because of my own journey. And so I think that is who I am in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about your journey. Um, How, how was it growing up? Tell us about that. 
Well, let's start from the beginning. So I, I came to this country and I lived um, part of my, my younger years in California. Um, two very young parents, both in their 20s. Um, they came obviously to give me a better future. Very young, very un, un, unexperienced. Um, and then I lived there for about 10 years. And then I moved to Utah. And the reason why I moved to Utah was because my dad was very unstable um, in a lot of areas. And he was an alcoholic. He was very unorganized. And he just, you know, just having a lot of issues that he was dealing with. And so he decided that he didn't want his daughters growing up in Los Angeles such a big city. He was concerned for our future. And he decided, I remember very vividly the day that he decided it was, I think in July of 97, where he said, um, where he got home and he saw like um, graffiti in our, in our home. And he said, I'm leaving, I'm taking my family out of this place and I'm taking them to a better place. And he said that because he was he also thought that by moving we he would be able to i guess help with his uh alcoholism and so in that case he you know he decided let's go let's move so i my little sister was 1 year old i was 10 and my middle sister was 7 years old we all moved to utah in the summer of 97 and it was a huge culture shock for me because I lived in Los Angeles and of course everybody looked like me everybody spoke Spanish like me and then I moved to Utah and nobody looked like me mm. and the people that actually were from Mexico they were white passing so not even they looked like me mm. and they were very assimilated and so I had a very very hard time just fitting in and then realizing that I had other issues to deal with, which which was the fact that I couldn't read. So I was 10 years old, couldn't read. Um, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't really interact with anyone, right? Um, because first, I remember this experience where the first day of class, I went into my class and they called out my name, May Deli. And I, I didn't know who they were referring to mm, until they said yeah. Mendoza. And I said, oh, I think that's me, but that's not how you say my name. My name is Maideli. And I remember the teacher saying, oh, well, I can't pronounce Maideli. So from now on, you're going to be Maideli. And I remember saying, great, like, I don't care. Made, I guess it's Maideli. <sighs> but there was this dissociation from who other how other people view me or how other people like put me in a little box to who I really was right because and that was the the most important moment of my life when they stripped me away from the last little bit which was my name aside from the fact that I was in a place that nobody looked like me aside from yeah. the fact that I could barely speak English now they stripped me away from my name and I didn't understand how powerful that was until years later when I went to college, which I'll, I, I'll get to later on in my story. So that was my experience. 
I never tried to fit in. I always try to keep my essence as pure as possible, which was very hard. I was bullied by my own peers, my own, you could say my own people. So, you know, those, those Mexican white passing fellow students, those were the ones that were, you know, making me feel bad. On top of that, there was a um, religion gap as well, because 90% of the population in Utah is LDS or Mormon. I was Catholic. And so there was another disconnect. All the kids in middle school were going to um, seminary and it was part of the curriculum. And I was the only one that wasn't going to seminary. And they would ask, why don't you convert? Why don't you join our class? And I had no answer. I didn't know what to answer. So that was the second biggest factor. Um, and then, you know, my learning uh, challenges that I had, learning that I was dyslexic, you know, just things, all the all my needs that I had through throughout school and my parents not being resourceful and not mm-hmm. reaching out for the help that I needed during those very, very, very crucial years. Uh, luckily, I had amazing teachers that helped me through that journey. And eventually I was able to get to a very important you know, get to high school and, and get to do, be like a normal high school student with big dreams. Cause my dad always um, instilled in me that I could be absolutely anything I wanted to. And that was very detrimental to my growth because he was wrong. And he, he, I remember him telling me, you can be the, you know, first Mexican president but he didn't tell me that I really couldn't. He, I mm-hmm. guess, and his desire to want me to do anything that I was set my mind to, right? And which I, I think was coming from an amazing place. He didn't factor in there are certain limitations, even though he didn't want to accept them. I could mm-hmm. never be the first woman president of the United States ever, even if I wanted to, because I wasn't born here. But that was never factored in. That was never told to to me. So I grew up being this very, I I would daydream about, you know, being a lawyer and going to Harvard and doing all these amazing things, right? I, he, he told me you can do anything. So I I figured when I get to high school, I'm going to be able to be in cheer. I'm going to be able to be in future leaders of America. And I'm going to be able to do all these things. I get to high school. And I realized that I couldn't because all these girls that were trying out for cheer had spent all their younger years going to gymnastics. My parents could barely afford Mm. to keep me alive. So that was one factor. And I could never, I could never, you know, all these, all these girls were more qualified than I was. So that was the first of like, why couldn't I make, like, why couldn't I join the team? I didn't understand that, that until in recent years as to they they were set up for success I wasn't you know they were giving things that I was never given to uh, given you know they grew up in a very stable home I didn't those were huge factors that nobody told me impacted not only my you know my education but also my personal development my mental health Mm -hmm. my everything right and so then 
you know, I'm trying to, to get all these classes AP because I want to go to Harvard and I couldn't because there was no, there wasn't a social security number. But at that moment, when I would ask my parents, my parents would give me the runaround. So until that moment, I didn't know that I was undocumented. I just I couldn't even understand why they giving me the runaround that I'm taking AP classes, but I'm not, you know, I don't have a social. So how am I going to take the state exam to get those credits? Yeah. But I didn't question. I just kept on going because I wanted to be this perfect daughter, mm-hmm. being the eldest of three. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this. I think anybody that's the eldest daughter of immigrants understands right? Yes. I, I was doing it all. I was taking care of my sisters, picking them, yeah. up, picking them up from school, feeding them, making sure they did their homework. I had to do all my chores. I had to make sure I had everything done for school. So we, and I say we, all of, of those people that are listening to me that are the eldest daughters mm-hmm. or sons could relate that I was doing everything. And I I thought I had to, that was like my superpower. I needed to do all mm-hmm. these things, take care of everybody, even though I had been taking care of my parents for my entire life subconsciously without even knowing. So I come to my last year of high school and I meet with a counselor and she tells me, "What? where do you want to go to school? And I said, I want to go to Harvard. And she laughed. And she oh said, gosh. Harvard, she said, do you, do you understand what it takes to go to Harvard? And of course I didn't know what it, it took, right? Mm-hmm. You needed to, to be, to, to, you needed to prepare since freshman year. There's certain things that you needed to do. And do you even, do you even have the money to pay to go to Harvard? Do your parents even, can your parents even, uh, you know, finance it? And all these things that she was telling me, I couldn't understand. What do you mean I needed to prepare since since freshman year? I thought I was already taking all the classes. What do you mean I need extracurricular activities? What do you what do you mean my GPA is not good enough? What do you mean? What do you mean? But nobody explained to me. She just she just gave me a face, and that face said it all. Mm-hmm. A girl like me couldn't go to Harvard. Where, where could I go? Because Harvard was the school that I wanted to go to. That mm-hmm. was where my heart was set to go to or, you know, or UCLA. But why didn't anybody tell me this, right? My dad just told me, you can do anything you set your mind anything. to. Yeah. Well, yeah, I set my mind to go to Harvard. Why am I, go- why am I not going to Harvard? What's, what's mm-hmm. wrong? Why? And uh, that happened. And I was very devastated and I couldn't understand. And in my dad's desire to want to help, he said, don't listen to her. You can do whatever you set your mind to. Again, those words, you can do anything. Those words were very, very, very detrimental to me because it was a lie, at least for a a person like me. And so the day of graduation came and I had not gotten into any college Hmm. because that social security was never given to me, which was a requirement. Um, apparently my GPA wasn't good enough. Uh, because of my learning challenges, I wasn't a great test taker. So I didn't do good in the SATs. Mm-hmm. So all these factors, I was graduating, but I had absolutely no plans. 
there was absolutely nothing. I had nothing. And my only desire was to go to school, to get a degree, to break the chain, generational chains. Because mm-hmm. my mom went to the university, but she never graduated because she had me. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to be that statistic. I wanted to make it. And I wasn't going to allow anything to set, to, to stand in the way of me going to school. So the day of graduation came, I had done a CNA uh, certification. And in my mind, I said I was going to go to school and pay my way through high, uh, through college by being a CNA, right? But I had forgotten that in order to take the t- state exam, I needed a social security number as well. Mm. So all these things, still, nobody had told me that I was undocumented. So I remember my dad went to my graduation and it was the, the saddest day of my life because he went to my graduation and he he said, me thinking my my dad's going to be super excited. He's going to be super proud of me. I finished high school. What a great accomplishment. And the only thing that he was worried about was going back to work in order to make money because he was losing money by being there. He didn't show up with balloons. He didn't show up with flowers. It was like, this is not good enough for me. The day you graduate from Harvard, that's the day I'm going to feel proud of you. Wow. And still yet, how was I going to get to Harvard so my dad could feel proud of me? Because that was my only desire was for that man to feel proud. And I remember crying and I remember thinking, what, you know, what, what, what's going to happen? I didn't get admitted to any school. So I told my mom, I said, mom, I don't know what to do. You never give me my social, you know, it's, it's May, like, what am I going to do? And I remember her saying, my, you don't have a social. And I said, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't have a social. Yeah. She said it, meant, it means that you were not born here. And I said, well, 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 you said I was born in Santa Maria and Santa Maria is in California. But she forgot to say that Santa Maria, not California. Mm. That's Mexico City, a little, a little, a little city, town. I don't know how you could call it. That's where you were born. But in my mind, my very positive, toxic positivity, I said, that's not going to stop me. I, I mean, I don't have a social. I wasn't born here. That's, I mean, what a big of a deal could that be, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I went on MySpace and I did my little research. Can you go to school? You know, where can you go to school if you don't have a social? And I don't know, I ended up somewhere in the in the web and in that in that place where I found it was like California, you can go to you can go to school in California even without a social. Mm-hmm. Something to the lines. So I was so devastated as to as to the situation that happened in my graduation with my dad, that I decided to pack my bags at 17, because at that moment, I was still not um, 18. Yeah. I decided to pack my bags and move to California. I'm talking to you 2004. DACA did not exist. Mm-hmm. I was talking to you about before cell phones had Google Maps. Yeah. So I had to go to the gas station, get me the, the map. map. Yeah. Route, <laughs> you know, trace my route and go to California. So in 2000 and, in 2004, I packed my clothes, my books, which was my biggest price possession and my map. And I drove myself 
to California to, to pursue that American dream. The same way that my parents had uh, 17 years prior to that had arrived to California with a bag full of dreams. Yeah. I was repeating the same story 17 years later. I arrived with all my dreams and all my ambition and I started knocking on doors and I realized what it meant to not have documents. I understood by knocking on every single door, community colleges from Cerritos to all these community colleges around LA County that I couldn't make it that I, because I couldn't get enrolled because I was undocumented because I didn't have a social. The only school that admitted me was East LA College. Mm. And growing up in Utah, East LA, the only thing that you would hear about East LA is in gangsters and mobsters. <laughs> That's yeah. the only thing that I knew. And I was the 70 year old girl that grew up in Utah that did not look anything like anybody that grew up in Los Angeles. Didn't yeah. talk like them. I didn't dress like them. Uh, they could tell that I was not from LA. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I ended up going to school uh, and I ended up getting very sick uh, after a my first year. I moved to Los Angeles without my parents. I moved with my uncles, which was not the greatest experience, even though they did the best that they could offering me yeah. a place to live, which I'm very, very grateful. Um, but I didn't have my parents. I didn't ha have support as much as my uncles wanted to support me they didn't know how to navigate the higher educational system because I was the first yeah. in my family to go to college. Um, so I got very sick. And in that process of me getting physically sick, I started to build a lot of anger because by then I understood what it meant to be undocumented. And I started digging and finding out why was I undocumented? I know there was an amnesty. I know I heard my dad saying he had a green card at some point. Why don't I have papers? And that's where I started digging and asking questions. And I found out that my dad, yes, became a, a resident. But when his letter arrived home to become a permanent resident and eventually become a citizen and eventually um, petition for me, he was busy doing other things. He never mm -hmm. took priority. So my anger towards my dad was so huge which factored into my me being sick. So that's my story in a nutshell and how I ended up in the, in the journey that I am today because it took me 14 years to finish my BA degree because I had to battle mental health. Because at 19, I, had di uh, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. I did mm -hmm. not have my parents. I did not have support. I, I didn't have absolutely anything. And it took me 14 years to be able to finish my BA degree. And the only reason why I finished was because when I turned 25, I started dating a very amazing man that supported me. Yeah. You don't understand how powerful support is until you mm. have it. Yes, very. I know. didn't know. He would cook for me. He would take me to school. He would motivate me. He would tell me, don't like you have to go to class and I would tell him I just don't want to I'm tired I had to work mm -hmm. as a server four days out of the week you know 10 hour shifts to be able to go to school three days out of the week I was working going to school running a business because I had so much desire to finish but that factor of his support 
mm-hmm. was everything. And the reason why I even finished was because he supported me through those very hard years. And I was able to finish my, my BA degree in 2017. And th- that in a nutshell is, is my story um, and the struggle as to the reason why I ended up doing what I'm doing today. Did your dad ever say why Utah? Like, was there like a friend that was there or it was? Yeah. Yeah. There was a friend. Um, He uh, had his own business. So he sold cars and he, I guess, met a friend at an auction. The friend said, oh my God, Utah's an incredible state. It's growing. You can make so much money. And he wasn't wrong. He was right. And it was a great, it was a great place to move because they they do have great values. And I think I wouldn't be the woman I am today if I wouldn't have moved there. Okay. And so talk to us about when DACA became available in 2012. Like, where were you in life? Like, how how did that impact you um, when that became available? Well, I was a big advocate at even before DACA. So I had been an advocate ever since I found out that I was undocumented. I was part of, of United We Dream. I don't even know if that organization is even alive today, mm-hmm. but um, I was a part of, of the movement. So when DACA came, I had followed the movement very closely. And we, and I say we, you know, the community, mm-hmm. um, we had had you know, laws presented and they had failed in the past. So I came from a lot of heartbreak from, from just heaviness of like, is this even going to pass? So I was, I was shocked when it happened. I remember being, you know, seeing it and just, and I, and I tear up even now thinking about it because it was so emotional Mm -hmm. to, to have that. And I thought at that moment, my entire life was going to change because we were finally some sort of documented something. I was going to have a nine digit number. I was so excited. Um, I was sad at the fact that there was an age, you know, limit. So a lot of my Mm. friends couldn't make it. So I was sad for them. Um, I was, I, I believe I was 26. Where was my Delhi in 2012? She, she was going through a lot in her life. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had recently been in jail. Um, he got pulled over. They arrested him for some outstanding tickets. Um, when they were there, when he was there, they, I guess, asked him a few questions and they decided to pu- put him in, in removal proceedings. So immigration mm-hmm. had a hold on him. So we had to gather a lot of money to bail him out and to fight his case. And so he wouldn't get deported. So all of my funds and my mom's funds went to that. Mm -hmm. So when DACA came out, even though it came out, I couldn't apply because I didn't have the money to do it. And it still brings tears to 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 my heart because I was away from having that nine-digit number for $360. Mm. And, and I didn't care because I, I, I needed to help my dad. I needed to bail him out. You know, it, he was more important. Yeah. And so I started being resourceful and trying to see if I could volunteer so that if I volunteer, somebody would, you know, help me do my my packet because they were charging a thousand dollars for for submitting 
the the DACA. And so it was a thousand dollars on top of three hundred and sixty for immigration. So it was just yeah. a lot. I didn't have the money to do it. Yeah. It took me, I believe, six months and I had to work my way through it. So I had to um, volunteer to submit other people's DACA. So in exchange, I would get my DACA submitted. That was very hard because I think life was teaching me how to be humble at that moment. You had you had to be happy for others. Yeah. You had to be okay. Mm -hmm. But it was hard. I'd been here 26 years of my life. I couldn't understand why not. Why yeah. not? I've waited so long. I've been a great immigrant. I've, I've been a great daughter. Why do you, why are you making me wait? You know, again, my dad was that reason why, you know, like my, again, my dad was the reason why I couldn't. Right. Yeah. And I found a way and I submitted my documents and everybody was getting approved. I was, you know, I saw Facebook, everybody was getting approved. Yeah. My application took a year to get approved. Mm. And I was so angry and I couldn't understand why my application was taking so long. so long. Yeah. So I didn't get DACA until I think a year and a half, almost two years into the program, was, was, which was very hard for me. Um, and at that point, I remember receiving my DACA in the mail, receiving my social security number and not feeling anything different. Mm. I swore that my life was going to change, right. that all of the problems, mm -hmm. yeah, all of the problems that I had were going to magically go away because now I have a nine digit number. And that wasn't the case. And I didn't understand why, if that was all I wanted, why was my life not changed? Mm. And I know that you, you know, you don't become, you're, you're not humble and life will humble you. Because mm. I remember saying, Oh, I've, I've been a server almost 10 years. I'm ready to be something different. Like now I have a nine digit number and now I can, I can apply in any job that I want to. Nothing's going to stop me because now I have a social security number. But that wasn't the case either. Because all the jobs that I wanted required you to be a citizen. Because I wanted to be in the government and I wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to do, you know, join the FBI and, you know, I still mm -hmm. I couldn't do it because I, you know, I wasn't a resident. So that didn't really change. And I ended up staying in the restaurant, working at the restaurant, uh, working with an uh, immigration attorney um, and, you know, just my life didn't really change much as I thought, as I had built in my head that it was going to change. Mm. 